we're going to take a break uh, this morning from our series in the Gospel of Mark. And I'd like us to consider uh, some of the verses that were read earlier on in the service, where in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 21, uh, if you've got a New King James Bible, it's a paragraph uh, in the text, verses 18 to 21 of the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where we have the angel uh, coming uh, to announce the birth of Jesus Christ to Joseph. Now, the angel had already come uh, to Mary, and uh, here, Joseph uh, hears the good news. And it's very relevant uh, to us uh, over 2,000 years later. And as a pastor, I think this is the 20th uh, time uh, I've uh, taken uh, Christmas uh, meetings. And um, if you think of three, four, five meetings each Christmas, uh, it is quite difficult uh, to be fresh all the time, isn't it? And yet, uh, when I go into the Word of God, because it's not a human book, but the very Word of God, yes, written by human authors, but this is never stale. This bread from heaven is always tasty. And I just want us to look this morning at uh, this announcement in the paragraph in verses 18 to 21 of the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. And the one thing I've got uh, to bring before us this morning is this. Christmas is a crisis. Now, maybe you don't quite agree with that. <laughs> maybe for you, Christmas isn't a crisis, but maybe it is. It's a very stressful time of year. But Christmas, here, in this paragraph, is a crisis. Now, do you know what a crisis is? A crisis is something that happens in your life, and your life is never going to be the same afterwards. Uh, so if you're thinking uh, of traveling, a lot of my illustrations are from walking. Well, if you're thinking uh, of going in a certain direction and then something happens, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be something very insignificant. But as a result of that one thing, you're no longer going in the same direction. A crisis has happened and your life now is never going to be the same again. It's revolutionized your life. Now, my friends, the message of Christianity is a crisis. The message of Christmas is a crisis. Now, let's open that up and ask, how is it a crisis? My first point is this. It's a crisis in terms of a worldwide uh, event. Now, what, what do we mean by that? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. What do those words mean? Those words are not just something personal, are they? They are part of history. What comes before those words? You've got a long list of genealogy. Not very interesting in and of itself, but very significant because it traces the birth of Jesus Christ right back to the beginning of creation. This is a crisis in terms of the big 
picture, world history. Christianity isn't just something that happens to me on a personal level. It's something big. What year is it? 2019. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know how you interpret these things, but are you those who still say 2019 AD, Anno Domini? Do you still use that phrase? If you read academic textbooks, they no longer use that phrase. What do they use now? They use B, um, common era or something? So even if you're 2019, common era, you've still got that figure, 2019. What does 2019 stand for? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's 2019 since a certain event. What's that event? The birth of Jesus Christ. So this world, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Hindu, whether you're atheistic, it doesn't matter what your ideology, you have to admit that 2019, as it ebbs to a close, means 2019 since the birth of Jesus Christ. This world is divided into two. The crisis was the birth of our Saviour. Everything that went before was before Christ. Everything since is Anno Domini, 2019 in the year of our Lord. That's what it means. Isn't that a crisis? That hasn't been changed, has it? <laughs> Whatever will happen to our society as it becomes less Christian, it's still going to be 2019, 2020. Now, why? Why is Jesus Christ so unique? Why aren't the founders of other religions put on such a pedestal? Well, look at the details here. An angel came to Joseph. But it wasn't an angel that was being announced in terms of the birth, was it? Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and she was found with child. So she was pregnant. So there was an embryo at this stage in her womb. There was a human life, something physical, not a freak, but a real human life. But that's not all, because Jesus wouldn't have been unique if he was just an embryo, because we've all been embryos, haven't we? But look at what else is said. She is found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's what makes Jesus Christ unique. Who's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Holy Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Who is Jesus Christ? Now, my mind isn't going to be able to take this in, and your minds are not going to be able to either. Jesus Christ is a real embryo, a real human being growing in Mary's womb. At the same time, he's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. What happened? The Holy Spirit conceived this uh, uh, baby. It wasn't Joseph that was the father of Jesus Christ. Joseph was the human father who looked after him as he grew up. But the uh, conception was from the Holy Spirit. So it was Mary that uh, became pregnant. But the father was the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't understand that, right? Right? 
<laughs> I don't think even Howell George understands it, and he's got a better theological mind than me. None of you understand it. Not even Errol Davis understands it. <laughs> Listen to the sublime words of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God didn't become a man in the sense that God changed into a man. God didn't put on humanity in the sense that one puts on a mask. This is the mystery. God did become a man in Jesus Christ, a real human being, and he still remained divine. Now, that's amazing. As Wesley puts it, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. What the mind doesn't understand, what do we do when we don't understand? Where reason fails with all her powers, their faith prevails and love adores. Have you come here this morning to adore Jesus Christ? What are we more interested in this morning? Are we more interested in these screens? I'm glad that we've got them because it'll make things much easier, especially when I change the hymn. <laughs> but that's not what we've come to see. We've come to see Jesus Christ, haven't we? To have a new vision of our glorious Savior. His birth was a crisis in the history of our world. Uh, how many of you were in Owen Batstone's induction a few weeks ago? I, I was blessed by something we did in that service which we don't do. Although I was told when we were in the Presbyterian Church, we used to do this. We recited one of the creeds. Now listen to this. The creeds were done very early on in the history of the church in the first few centuries. This is who Jesus Christ is. This is the Athanasian Creed. Now the right faith is that we should believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is both God and man, equally. He is God from the being of the Father, begotten before the world, and he is man from the being of his mother, born in the world. What are they saying? They're saying he's 100% divine, 100% human. Very God of very God, very man of very man. And I'm presenting him to you and I want you to worship him. And that's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody who's come to worship Christ, the newborn king. So that's my first point. It's a crisis in terms of the big picture have you come to worship Jesus Christ that's the essence of a Christian and then from the macro to the micro this is a personal crisis as well for poor Joseph isn't it he was betrothed to Mary now what is betrothal 
it's more than engagements, right? It's more than engagements. Um, if you were in this society, it was very religious and respectable. Uh, we are no longer a religious society. Uh, but Wales, 50 years ago, would have been similar. And so, for example, if somebody divorced in that society, there was a big stigma regarding it. And it was a bit like that uh, in Joseph's day. So this is the crisis that poor Joseph is facing. Uh, he's betrothed to Mary. So that's a commitment that can't be broken. They are going to get married. Joseph would be dishonorable as a man if he was to break off from marrying Mary. But this is the shame. Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, but he hasn't slept with her. She must have been unfaithful to him. What's he going to do now? This is going to bring great shame upon the family. People will be talking about it. Joseph will no longer uh, be accepted in society. He's going to be cold-shouldered. People are no longer going to trade in the carpentry shop. He's Joseph. That man who was betrothed to that unfaithful woman. Can you see the dilemma he's got? He can't break off the betrothal because that would be dishonoring. <laughs> but neither, neither can he carry on. <laughs> oh, poor Joseph, it wasn't his fault. Are you in a personal crisis? Has something happened to you through no fault of your own which is causing you to be in an impossible place? Maybe you're afraid of the stigma, the shame. Uh, am I talking to somebody here this morning? Maybe you're the innocent party. It is possible, isn't it, to have an innocent party in a divorce? Are you really... Innocent, you haven't done anything wrong. And yet, because of the stigma, you're in a place that seems impossible. Um, if I can put this as another example, because I know a number of you are suffering from mental health problems. There's still a stigma regarding mental health. And it's not your fault. But you're finding yourself in an impossible place. What do you do? What do you do? What could Joseph do? Poor Joseph. You know, there's a hymn which puts it brilliantly. It says, maybe this is you, your back is up against the wall when all things seem against us to drive us to despair. We know, don't you? One gate is open. One ear will hear our prayer. The only thing that will help Joseph is a divine intervention. That means God sorting it out. And the only thing that will help you and me is a divine intervention. For Joseph, this is the irony, Jesus Christ was the cause of the crisis, wasn't it? <laughs> Joseph wouldn't have been in this horrible situation if the Holy Spirit hadn't conceived the child in Mary's womb. And this is what I find. Since becoming a Christian, my life hasn't been easier. Those of you who are believers this morning, don't you agree with that? Jesus Christ turns our lives upside down, inside out. 
it is a crisis, isn't it, when we were converted? And it hasn't been a bed of roses since then. Oh, we're grateful for the highs, but we're just as grateful for the lows because they drive us to God. A crisis. In the summer, I was standing in what was supposed to be the shepherd's fields outside Bethlehem. I don't know if it was the place where the shepherds were, but... I was with another, um, uh, well, I was with a group of tourists, so it was uh, (laughs) very strange. Standing in the shepherd's fields. It's in the West Bank. It's not in Israel. And the guide we had wasn't a Jew. They're not allowed in the West Bank. It was an Arab, a Palestinian Christian. Do you realize there are many Christians living in the West Bank. And this man didn't just tell us about the shepherd's fields. He was asked a question about their situation. And uh, these people, uh, they no longer uh, are able uh, to travel uh, to uh, Israel without permits. And they all have to have individual permits. So he was telling us, as a family, if we wanted to go uh, to the seaside or something, we'd have to go into Israel, and we'd all have to have a permit as a family. And he was saying it's an impossible thing to do, to visit the seaside. And he was talking about the oppression. Now, whether we agree or disagree is beside the point. What I'm saying is this. Here was a man who was in a personal crisis. And do you know what he said? He said, as a believer, as a believer, I don't think it's right to use violence, as a number of people in the West Bank are doing, to try and change the situation. This is what he said, and I'll never forget this. Here is a man oppressed. Here is a man who can't even go to the seaside without great trouble. This is what he said. But I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. Can you say the same thing? Whatever your crisis is, can you say, I will trust in the Lord. And he went on to say, even if he doesn't deliver us from our oppression, I will still trust in him because he will have something better for us. Can you say that? Even if he doesn't deliver me from this crisis, even if the problems are still there, he's got something better for me. That's the kind of God we have. A God who is always there. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel with us dwelling. Whatever your crisis. Oh, can I just encourage you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And my third and final point, and this is my most important point. This isn't just a world crisis, not just a personal crisis, but it's a crisis of salvation. Now, we've heard that word, haven't we? Uh, I preached on it last Sunday morning. I'll be preaching on it throughout this Christmas. Uh, Look at what the angel said to Joseph. Uh, While he thought about these things, verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. This is salvation. And you shall call his name Jesus. That means Joshua. 
and it means deliverer, saviour, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, the Palestinian guide we had, he was talking about physical oppression, a stronger state oppressing a weaker country. But this uh, saving that Jesus is going to do isn't from physical oppression. It's from spiritual captivity. That's what you and I need the most. Oh, yes, we have personal crises, don't we? And this world is full of difficulties. 2020 won't be problem-free for any of us. And what I'm saying is this. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, he will be with you in all of those difficulties. But my friends, our biggest crisis, our biggest problem is our relationship with God. That we're sinners and that God is holy. That we're condemned and that God in his love has provided somebody to deliver us. You know, God is good. God is not bad. He's not a harsh taskmaster, even though we're under his righteous judgments. Look at the mess this world's in. Look at the mess our society's in. Look at the mess you and I are in by nature. And you know what God does? God doesn't just say, let them stew in it. That's what they deserve. Do you know what God is? God is a God of grace. Do you know what grace means? Grace means undeserving favor. And God sees us in this mess. And he says, yes, they deserve it. But I won't let them stay in it. I will do something about it. Um, a number of you have been helped by uh, Tim Keller's books. And this is a quote from Tim Keller. God is infinitely holy, so our sin could not be shrugged off. He is infinitely loving. He knows we could never climb up to him. So he has come down to us. That's the good news. That's why Jesus Christ came. God had to come himself and do what we couldn't do. He didn't send someone. This is Keller now, not me. He doesn't send a committee report or a preacher to tell you to save yourself. He comes himself. I like that. He came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. I, I've had people say to me, uh, those who do suffer from depression, uh, and I was guilty of this uh, before, uh, they've said the worst thing that you can say to a person who is depressed, clinically depressed, is pull yourself together. <laughs> Get yourself out of the situation you're in. And I must plead guilty to saying that in the days of my youth. And you know what? In our spiritual mess, we're in the pit. We're, we're trapped. We can't get ourselves out. And do you know what? God doesn't say to you and to me, pull yourself together, man. He says, you can't do it. You can't do it. But I'm going to climb down into that pit. And I'm going to go down into the miry clay myself. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ was besmirched with dirt and shame. And the worst thing was it was your sin and mine that was being laid on him. So that he taking the wrath of God in our place 
God could be just in forgiving us. Oh, what a gospel, what a gospel. There's a children's chorus which talks about Jesus Christ in this way. Do you know this one? He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He did not only come to seek. It was to save. He came. It was to save. He came. I want to say to you this morning, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the terrible pit, out of the miry clay. And he set my feet on the rock. Has he done that to you? Do you know what Joseph did? The angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, Savior. How many of you here were told what name? Those of you are parents now. What name you had to give your child? I don't think anybody was told what name. Didn't you choose the, the name? And we've had many children, haven't we, born recently. And there are some very interesting names. And you chose them. Joseph didn't choose the name of Jesus. He was given the name. And you know what? When we become Christians, we don't choose. In, in one sense, we do choose Jesus Christ. But in another sense, we don't we don't choose Jesus on our terms. We don't name Jesus in our way. We accept him on his terms. Have you done that? The chorus I read says, it was to save he came, and we will call him Savior. And we will call him Savior. And then we call him by his name. Have you called Jesus Savior? Have you agreed to God's diagnosis of your condition that you're in a mess, that it's not just your personal problems, but that it's your sin and your inability to get out of the mess, and that you're so grateful that God has sent his only begotten Son, that he became a man, that he went all the way to that cross, and that he hung there, condemned for your sin, and that you're now accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Have you done that? Can you do that? I'm not going to be in Porth Call, right? On Christmas morning. I, I'm scared of water. Going into the baptistry is enough for me. <laughs> You're talking about crises. <laughs> do you know why I'm so terrified of water? When I was in secondary school, which was a long time ago, this wouldn't be allowed anymore. Those of us who couldn't swim, were thrown in at the deep end. You wouldn't be allowed to do that now. We were thrown in. And you know what the PE teacher, as we used to call them, PE, uh, physical education, he would come then with this contraption as I was drowning. <laughs> he would use this contraption. Uh, it's, um, it's like things you use to fish... Um, leaves out of a garden pond and I just grabbed hold of it do, do you know what it is to accept Jesus Christ on his terms you, you just dive into the ocean of the love of God in Jesus Christ 
That's how C.S. Lewis describes conversion, as diving. It doesn't matter how you dive. You just abandon yourself. And you know, it's not a little contraption then that you're holding on to. You will call his name Jesus, for he shall. That's God's promise, the God who cannot lie. You're holding on, or he's holding on to you. Praise be to his name. Once in him, in him forever. When God saves, because Christ has taken all our sins, we are eternally safe. Very well then. Jesus. A world crisis, a personal crisis, and a crisis of salvation. I'm not going to finish until I've asked you this question. Have you had a crisis in your life? Maybe not a sudden crisis. Many of you have had a gradual crisis in terms of coming to Jesus Christ. But it's still a crisis, isn't it? Because your life hasn't been the same since. My friends, our life, as soon as we abandon ourselves to Jesus Christ, is never going to be the same He's going to turn your life upside down. And you know what? Whatever will happen, trust him. Trust him as you trusted him to save you. And keep on trusting him. And even if he doesn't deliver you out of your problems, he's got something better. He's the something better. And aren't we traveling not to the beach? We're not going to the beach, are we? Well, we are on Christmas Day. Maybe some of you are. <laughs> We're going to the promised land. <laughs> Do you believe in the promised land? I believe in the promised land. And we're traveling there together. And it doesn't matter how hard the journey, we are going home. May God uh, give us this Christmas companions. May families be reunited as we travel together. For his namesake, amen.